Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18. What I'd like us to do here quickly as we make our way back into the Word is to consider a little bit of where we've been over the last few weeks within the book of Acts. Going all the way back to chapter 15, we had the Jerusalem decree, the council that came together in Jerusalem, and what they sought to do was to help establish the difference, really, between legalism and issues of the heart. This is one of the first formal steps that was taken in establishing the foundation of the church in consideration of the Gentiles, Jew and Gentile, coming together. And this is One of the ways in which the door was opened up for the conversation of how we live as a community of believers. That is, in fact, what's happening here today, is this is a gathering together of believers. That's what church is all about. And it goes all the way back to these early issues within the church, these early conversations that help to establish what it is that we believe and how we operate today. And while the believer has freedom in Christ, we're called to love one another. That's what the Jerusalem decree was really seeking to establish here, was that, listen, there are certain things that, yes, you may be free to do, but the reality is you may cause your brother to stumble. And we're called to love one another. We're called to serve one another, to be in a community with one another such that we would never desire to live in a way where it caused someone else to stumble, but to, in all things, ensure that our lives, our our walk, is an encouragement to the body as a whole. From there, we see Paul, he identifies and raises up Timothy, travels to several different cities where the gospel is preached and the disciples are strengthened. Paul is facing opposition in each city, and it shows us the importance of prayer, of full surrender to God and living out the Great Commission. And the commission itself is not one of drive-by evangelism, but rather a focused effort on exalting the Word of God, and participating in a process where brothers and sisters in the Lord are taught the Word. They're raised up to not only become faithful believers, but disciple-makers themselves. See, the Christian life is one that demands maturity, maturity that should lead the young believer to a place of solid foundation, where they too are leading others to Christ and growing others up within the Word. And see, we see that happening here with Paul as the church is growing. And then finally, we see Paul, as we discussed last week, travel to Corinth, this immoral city where we see the work of the ministry flourish because it was a place that was ripe for God's grace and his mercy. But within that, we see a focused effort on the part of Paul to live a life of consecration, of separation from the things of the world, a commitment to living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And what we will continue to see through our study here today are great examples of the life of a believer. From being led of the Spirit, to being surrendered to others in accountability and discipleship, to confidence of being empowered by the Spirit, knowing that you're Spirit-led. There is in this study here today an important exercise of recognizing whether or not we are truly surrendered to the Lord. That we are baptized in His Spirit of determining whether we have come to the Lord in both our heart and our mind. Not just here, but in here. Surrender. Having received the Holy Spirit, that we could be equipped, empowered, and transformed. The reality is that the Lord, though we're progressing through the book of Acts here, is continuing to give us some of the same lessons. And so if you hear some of the same things repeated here today, just know 
The Lord wants you to get this. It's my heart that as we finish the book of Acts, that we would be in such a place as we have an understanding of what the church is really to be, how we're to function, and that not that we would have an understanding, but that we'd be challenged in that. That we would be wrestling with that. That truly we would wrestle with, Lord, what is all of this? What, what is all of this within church? What would you have for us? What do you want us to do? How are we to live? I want us to be wrestling with that. That is a good, that would be a good work for us to get to a place where we say, you know what, the Lord is expecting more from us. And so as we return to the Word, we'll pick up in verse 18 of chapter 18. And we read there as we ended last week, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And so here they had come to the city of Ephesus where Paul, really, he didn't stay there for very long. And what is important to remember as they arrive here in Ephesus is that this was in an area that would have been considered Asia at the time. And if you recall back in chapter 16, verse 6, we read, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they went to other areas where the Spirit was leading, but now they come back to that place where they had originally desired to go. Sometimes we can read over things like this and kind of miss that. And there's an important lesson for us in that, that Christian, is, as we pursue the Lord, He will open and close doors. We must remember that while something may seem well and good, while something may seem as if, well, surely the Lord would be in that. Even if today we thought, you know what, after church today, we're going to go down to some ministry downtown and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Generally speaking, most people would say, well, that sounds fantastic. That's a good thing to do. But the reality is sometimes God doesn't permit things like that. The reality is sometimes God says, no, I want you to go here instead. And we need to be in tune enough with the Spirit to know where it is that He's directing us. And so in this time, Paul was originally disappointed. He wanted to go to this city, but the Lord directed him otherwise. And now here he is coming back. He's coming back to this place. And so in like manner for us, sometimes we have a vision. Sometimes we have an idea. Sometimes we think the Lord is in this. And don't be discouraged if it's not his time. It doesn't mean that it's not a vision from the Lord. It doesn't mean that he may not eventually do it, but we need to be patient and wait upon the Lord. He was directing Paul's path here, and now they get to come back. Now they return. And here, Paul doesn't stay very long. This place that he wanted to go, now he's got more people with him that he can leave there. It didn't have to be a work that only he was driving. Now he's got others who are raised up in the Lord that he can leave behind as he continues on his journey. Because here it says that Paul wanted to make the feast in Jerusalem. And he's learned some things from his journey. As he says, I will return if God wills it. Remember the words of James in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Christian, I want you to reflect on that. That may seem like a simple passage, but we should ask ourselves, is that how we live our lives? 
Is that how we live our lives? Do we have such a sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit that we are in all things, as we seek to make plans, cognizant of, Lord, if it's your will? That we're not so tied to the plans we've made. And trust me, as a type A personality, (laughs) I love my plans. I love my plans. They're good plans. God teaches me on a regular basis not to trust that plan, but to be willing and surrender to Him. It's amazing how He's put Ashley and I together because she's not type A. And the type A's go, yeah, yeah, I know what that's like. But it's so good because she's so go with the flow when it comes to the plan. You know, and so we balance each other out really well. It's a good parent in ministry. Paul was learning just as we should. Lord, maybe, maybe this is what you have. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. And when he had landed at Caesarea in verse 22 and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And so a lot's happening here. I mean, in two short verses, a lot of time is passing by. A lot of miles are being traveled. What's happening here is that Paul comes to Jerusalem for that feast. He was intent on making the feast. And when he gets there, it says that he had gone up and greeted the church. Now, it's just a minor thing to note here, but whenever somebody's going to the city of Jerusalem, they're going up. You'll always see it referred to as them going up to Jerusalem, and then everywhere else they're going down. Now, there was some physical topography of the land that accounted for that, but there's also some nice symbolism as they're going to the place where everyone went to worship, the true place to worship. And here he went up and greeted the church, and it's believed that this is where he was going to fulfill his vow. We read earlier that he had taken what we believe to be a Nazarite vow, Typically, those Nazarite vows last about 30 days. His may have been longer. We don't know exactly what it was other than consecration, a separation, a commitment to God to say, I want to do this, Lord, and I'm committing to it. And he would shave his head at the beginning of that vow and allow it to grow. And there's some other things that went along with that, that they wouldn't eat or drink certain things through that time. And his vow was coming to an end, and he was intent on going to Jerusalem and up to the church to greet them there to complete this process. And after that, he went down to Antioch. And Antioch was essentially his home congregation. The Apostle Paul was coming back. How long had he been gone for? Oh, only about three chapters, right? It was actually about three years. Three years he'd been away. Think of somebody you haven't seen in three years. And you don't have FaceTime, and you don't have email, and all these different ways to stay connected. This had to have been a glorious reunion. What a wonderful time for Paul to share what the Lord had been teaching him, what he had seen, what he'd observed. And so he stays there for a period of time enjoying this reunion of sorts, and then it's time to go. It's time to go back out again, not too unlike a missionary today who gets furlough and comes back and sees family and fills you in on everything that the Lord is doing, but eventually they come to a place where they say, this isn't my home. It's time for me to go back, to get back to the Lord's work. And when he does leave then, he leaves with the intent of strengthening the disciples. This was his intent. And this continues to reinforce for us one of the key distinctives of the church. The church being believers. As I've mentioned, in in, in not a building, Paul was living out the Great Commission. Making disciples of Christ, who then make disciples of Christ, who then make disciples of Christ. And it goes on and on and on. That's how it's to function. And this is an area where we must reflect and determine if we are both being strengthened in our walk, and if we in turn then are looking to strengthen one another. 
This is one of the key things that we see here within this passage today that we should reflect on is, are we living that out? We see Paul saying, hey, I'm going to go out and strengthen the disciples. Have we operated in that way? Have we had that mindset? Have we thought to ourselves, hey, I'm going to strengthen the disciples. I'm going to strengthen the brethren. When I come together in fellowship, when I go to church, I'm mature in my faith, and I want to be a part of strengthening other believers. Maybe you're young in the faith, and that's okay. This is where you should be, and you should depend on and expect that somebody's going to come alongside you, walk with you, disciple you, speak truth into your life. And this work that Paul was committed to, it wasn't just because, well, Jesus said this was the Great Commission, and so this is what I'm supposed to do, although certainly that'd be good enough. But there needed to be a heart behind it as well. And the reality is that Paul was fueled by love. He loved the brethren. And that should be that way within us, that it's not just about, well, we have this sign in church, there's a sign in our sanctuary, and we're a church that's all about making disciples. But no, there should be a sense of that just helps to share visually what it is that we do, what's in our hearts to do, that we would have a love for one another to be able to invest in each other's lives, that it would be our aim to reach others for Jesus and then invest in them and then strengthen them and then give them the boot and say, go! Listen, the Lord has blessed us with an incredible church here and it's growing and there's a door. Look, there's a door. Did you notice that we have doors now, right? And they're beautiful doors. And we've got big double doors on the front. I can't wait for us all to walk through the big double doors. Right? I just want to throw them open like Esther going before the king, you know? It's a beautiful thing. And you know what? Should the Lord continue to bless and to grow this church? Well, praise God. But I have no desire whatsoever to put a for sale sign in front of this church and go and build a bigger one somewhere else and have a bunch of debt because we're just, we're growing and we're growing and we're growing. No. Listen, if the Lord leads us at some point to have a couple of services here, well, then so be it, because I want to be able to operate within this building. But at some point, it's not going to be about, well, hey, we're up to seven services today. That's not my heart. My heart is to say, who's ready to go? Who's ready to go? Because guess what? We need another one out in Kershaw County somewhere, and we need one up in Newberry, and we need one down by Orangeburg, because that Calvary Chapel didn't last last time. And we got to figure out how to get other churches in other places so we can do what we're taught to do right here. That's what's happening. And that's my heart, and it should be all of our hearts. And it's tough. It's tough because within the church, within the community of believers, you do start to love one another. And you become a part of one another's lives, or you should. And then eventually that time comes where you have to go, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go. And it should be that way. It should feel that way. But if the Lord's in it, if he's got his hand on it, then he's going to multiply the church in that way and send believers out. That's a wonderful thing when that happens. The church we were part of up in in Michigan and Kalamazoo, there's now been about six churches that have stemmed out of that church. And you don't think there's times when Pastor Roger up there is looking at the 50 people that are now left in the warehouse on Fulford Street in downtown Kalamazoo and go, oh, man, I want all those people back. Sure, sometimes the flesh gets in the way, but then he remembers what's now happening in different cities around the area and how the gospel's spreading. And we see that carried out here is in verse 24, we've got this example of a man named Apollos. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. What a description of this man named Apollos eloquent, 
mighty in the Scriptures, educated, fervent and passionate, a great communicator. He had all the trappings of a megachurch pastor. No doubt he would draw thousands. We could stream him to campuses all over the country. Countless followers on social media wherein he could proclaim how many got saved each and every Sunday. And so many would rejoice. And thus would be the Americanization of our church. And I don't mean to knock that, but I do take issue with it. And if my heart were to ever turn that way, you've got me on a recording right now. You can play it back and say, hey, Brennan, remember what you said? And so while we see then here, what's amazing about this is this man who has all of these characteristics about him, he begins to teach the word and we see a humility that's so often absent today. As it says in verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. You see here, Apollos, though he was well-versed in many things, didn't have it all right. And along come two tent makers, no formal education, one of them a woman at that. And they speak truth into Apollos' life, and he receives it. He receives it. This man, mighty in Scripture, he receives their instruction, and he grows in the faith. Folks, this is community. This is discipleship. Paul had left them behind. Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila behind to do exactly that. It wasn't Paul's job. It wasn't his responsibility, though he would gladly have done it, though he would have seen it. He trusted and knew, hey, you guys, you guys stay. You do this. You start to grow the church here. And then Apollo says, okay, I'm going to go over here now. And he goes and he, he begins to teach the word. And we'll hear later in chapter 19 that he has an impact, a great impact, a profound impact. But it's about the body coming together with an emphasis on the word first, strengthening one another, loving one another, holding one another accountable. That's a tough one. In order to hold somebody accountable requires a few different things. One, there's a certain level of vulnerability. There's some insight into your life. You're not so guarded. You're real enough that people can see some things that maybe are a little messy. And when they see those things, there's a humility on your part enough to let somebody go, hey, you know, I've noticed this in your life. And I think that's something you should pray about. I, I want to challenge you on this, that here's what the Word says, and here's what I see you doing, and man, I just don't, I don't want that for you. Right? And being willing to go, thank you. Thank you for calling that out. Knowing full well that, you know, when we read in the Word that we better deal with the log that's in our eye before we deal with the speck that's in another person's eye. You know what the unique thing about that is, is that they're both made from the same substance. You know what gives me the ability to recognize something in somebody else's life? been there. Me too, right? Have dealt with it as well. And so there shouldn't be judgment there. I was sharing with somebody earlier this week, I was reminded of it. C.S. Lewis, one of his quotes, said the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. Now, for those of you following social media, you know that me too is viral right now. And in a horrific way, I mean, it's, you know, we don't need to go into that, but it is really appalling what's happening out there with all of the sexual harassment and all these types of things. But those two words are incredibly powerful when somebody says, yeah, I get it. 
I get it. But there has to be a willingness on our part within the body of Christ to say, I'm giving you permission to speak truth into my life. And it's a wonderful thing when that happens. And so we don't see Apollos go out and and plant the first mega church. We see him just like Paul go and help the other believers just as he was taught to do, strengthening one another, loving one another, encouraging one another. And I want to share something I'd mentioned on Wednesday night. I mentioned this formula, if you will, for sharing the gospel, and I was able to track it down. And it was with a, a little article here, and I want to read this for you. Remember your favorite teacher. She showed you how the lesson applied to everyday life. Maybe he helped you to experience his passion for a subject firsthand. But even good teachers rarely expect their pupils to become the teacher to someone else. God wants more. He has always built a pass-along principle into his creation. God never intended that any living thing he created should just be born, live, and die. When it comes to evangelism, it's not enough to make converts and teach them the basics of the faith. We need to make sure that each one we reach can pass on the life of the kingdom to others who can pass it on to others. The first two commandments that God gave mankind were be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1.28. And he was saying there, not just a statement about procreation, but that I want more like you. I want more. And Jesus Christ demonstrated the principle several times, not the least when he gave us the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In other words, Jesus told his disciples to teach their disciples everything he first taught them. And look what happened. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied in Acts 6-7. In only a few years they had, as we read two weeks ago, turned the world upside down. And this was without the benefit of radio, TV, the printing press, or the internet. Instead, the responsibility was borne by each individual. Consider the Apostle Paul's strategic mission statement in 2 Timothy 2-2. He didn't limit himself to developing a doctrinally sound, well-trained Timothy. Instead, Paul was looking two generations beyond his young disciple, saying the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the challenge is given here to have a race, but we won't match athletes or cars, we'll match strategies. The finish line for our race, winning all 6 billion people in the world, 6 billion plus to Jesus Christ. One competitor will be reach the world by addition. With this strategy, we will equip a church to add 1,000 people to heaven's role every year. Sounds pretty good, right? I would love to say we had 1,000 people give their lives to the Lord. He goes on to say, no, wait, let's think big. Let's equip 10,000 churches to accomplish this supernatural goal every year. Our other competitor will be one guy, meet Joe Multiplier, one lone fellow who decides to lead one person to Christ every year. Disciple the new believer and train him how to do the same with someone else. By teaching others to become teachers, Joe will multiply himself. Now you might be thinking, no contest. Poor Joe is going to get smoked. Well, let's do the math. The addition strategy, as impressive as it looks on the surface, will take 600 years to reach the world. And that's assuming a zero population growth rate. But since statistics suggest that we're currently adding 135 million to the world's population each year, the followers of the addition strategy will actually never reach the finish line. You understand that? 10,000 churches converting 1,000 people each year, and you'll never get there. Joe's strategy, on the other hand, will surpass it. Surely he starts slow. After one year, there are only two disciples. At the end of the second year, four. 
The third year, there are eight followers of Jesus. The fourth year, 16. However, by year 33, you will have more than 8.5 billion Christians. Worried about the population explosion? No problem. We'll be at 34 billion Christians just two years later. 34 billion. Can you see the powerful potential of a ministry of multiplication compared to one of addition? Now, when you think about this, producing with the first strategy, busy cranking out a thousand converts each year in the church, we don't have much time, energy, or people to pay attention to their spiritual growth, right? How are we going to do that well? But Joe Multiplier and those he has led to Christ and mentored will spend quality time with each and every new believer to make sure they are firmly grounded in their faith, able to pass it on to others. Each one becomes a new fountainhead of growth and reproduction. Folks, that is the church. That's the church. This is what the church is. The church is not the place we gather each week. The church is not a meager message from an average pastor. It is not well-rehearsed worship music. Each of these things can prove to be effective tools in accomplishing the greater good. But the church is the community of believers focused on the Word of God, living it out in community, on mission to reach others for Christ and to multiply. We have to grasp that. And in and of itself, that may sound simple. It may sound like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But we have to dwell on it. We have to pray about it. We have to meditate on it. We have to think about it such to where it really begins to sink in, to where personal accountability takes hold. You know, even in a prayer to say, boy, I, I pray a bunch of people get saved this Sunday at church. Listen, that's a wonderful prayer. But that puts a whole lot of pressure on those that are seeking to lead the ministry on that day. The better prayer would be, Lord, how do you want me to participate in this process? Who can I share with? Who can I disciple? Who can I walk alongside to multiply the church? And you know, if you're uncomfortable with this, if it makes you uncomfortable, well, fantastic. Because being uncomfortable is the first step towards growth, right? That's where it begins. It begins with that feeling of, oh, I don't like this very much. But I get it. And I understand it. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to see what the Lord does with it. If you disagree with it, well, then you need to take that to the Lord. You need to take that to the Scriptures. You need to search it. That He would show you, because I'm confident that I'm right. I don't know how to say it any other way. You know, sadly, I believe that a large percentage of the church today in America has been duped, suckered into a, a life of so-called godliness and morality while Satan has them comfortably seated in a place where they're entertained each week, never growing and never having an impact for the kingdom. And lest I overwhelm you with this exhortation, I want to encourage you, as I often have tried, and that taking action is a whole lot easier than you might think. You know, we have it far from perfect here at Calvary Chapel Northeast so far. This past week has been one of those weeks where it's been an awesome week. It's been fantastic. But one where the Lord has continually revealed to me, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You know, why? That's not the church. That's not what I asked you to do. You know, to evaluate everything that we do to see, are we truly getting the return on investment that we desire? 
But there are a lot of things. There are still a lot of things. There are still a lot of ways in which you can take action. Think of the opportunities that are simply before you. You know, attend things like community day. Put yourself out there and say, hey, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to stop the new people that are coming and saying, can I pray for you? What do you need? What's going on in your life? How can I help? Consider, you know, there's Sunday school teachers serving faithfully here right now. If you noticed, it's been relatively absent of any crying or child outbursts here this morning. They didn't magically disappear. We didn't put them in a padded room. Sometimes we'd like to. There are people faithfully teaching them right now. We need more. You take that step and say, you know what? This is an area where I can try, where I can serve, where I can maybe even get comfortable sharing the gospel. Listen, you learn how to share the gospel with a bunch of third and fourth graders? You can share with anybody, okay? They have tougher questions most of the time. Come to Bible study during the week. You know, and if those things feel like too big of a step, you know what? Invite somebody to lunch today. Say, hey, we're going to lunch. Would you like to come with us? And while you're there, don't just talk about the game. You can talk about the game. But at some point during the conversation, say, how can I pray for you? Hang around today to help pack the shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. And while you're doing so, pray for the child that that is going to. And then the person standing next to you packing one of those shoeboxes, look over to them and say, how can I pray for you? And when that person says, oh, I'm good. Everything's good. No worries. You can say, I don't believe that. Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Listen. You know, I said this on Wednesday night, and I would never stand up here today and parade this in front of everybody. But listen, I know about some of your secrets. You come to me and you tell me. How do I know? How can I relate? Because I have them too. And the reality is there were a whole bunch of messed up people sitting here this morning. There's a whole lot of baggage that we just barely could fit through the door on our way in. And fortunately, some of it stayed out there on the sidewalk. And you're going to go and pick it right back up when you leave. And you're going to tell everybody, I'm great. Praise Jesus. Now, we should do that. That's an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. We should be praising Him in the midst of those trials. But for crying out loud, let's be real with people. I blew it countless times this week. I got angry. I got frustrated. I yelled. Was I driving? Is that what somebody asked? Listen, I have a horn and it works. Pastor Bobby informed me nobody likes to honk in South Carolina. It's considered rude. I thought it was a form of communication. I'm from the north. I honked. When you're in three lanes and somebody didn't make it into the other lane before it filled up, and they just decided it was okay to stop and wait, you're going to get the horn. You can't do that. you got to move. Right? You've all experienced this. Or maybe you're the one that's like, really, you can't stop? This is South Carolina. I was just waiting for somebody to help me out, you know, let me in. No, you got to keep going. Take the next left. That's how that works. So yes, thank you. I blew it. But it goes much deeper than that. I'm not afraid to say it as a pastor standing before you. If you knew my heart, how desperately wicked it was, you'd say, you can't ever go up there again. The good news is I'm covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. I'm covered by the blood of Christ. And it's not in my own effort that I come up here. It's because he says, go. And he's saying the same to each and every one of you. I challenged a few guys this week. I said, would you be willing to teach on a Sunday morning? Because I want you to be. I want more guys getting involved in different areas. The Lord raising up people who can teach, who can encourage. And when you think, oh, I can't teach, I can't. Yes, you can. Listen, we've got to be serving. 
We've got to be taking that step and becoming what it is that the church is supposed to be. These are the ways in which we take that step towards community, the community that the Lord desires. And the list is endless. And here's where it gets real. If you're still not feeling it, if you're still sitting there saying, I don't know, then I have to ask this question. Do you truly know him? Do you truly know him? Do you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because I must tell you that the word tells me that if you do, there begins to be fruit produced in your life. And we have to do that hard work. It's hard because we have to give up. Otherwise, God does it. But allowing him to just search our hearts and see where are we really at. I'm going to go through this first part of Acts 19 here a little quickly because I think it helps us to maybe kind of grasp what that challenge leads to. We read in chapter 19, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. We'll touch on this a little bit more next week as we dive further into it. But what we see here happening is that for whatever reason, because Paul didn't ask this question everywhere he went, but he identified something within these 12 people here that caused him to say, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? Were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And when they said, we don't even know exactly what you're talking about here, he says, well, what is it? What is it that you believe? You believe in the message of John the Baptist. We were baptized into that message. And it goes to show how far-reaching John's message was, how effective his work was. But remember, John's message was somewhat incomplete and in that what he was proclaiming, he never really had the opportunity to, to preach it further to say, and that guy who I've been preparing the way for, that, the one who I've been telling you about, he's here. And you don't need my baptism anymore. The one that says that you believe in that Messiah, what you need now is the Messiah himself and his Holy Spirit. And so a lot of people want to debate, well, were these guys really saved? Were they not saved? Listen, we can debate that one. We can look at the word and we can try and figure out exactly what, I mean, it says they're disciples, but is it disciple in a general sense? But you know, that would be us. That would be us Americans to try and figure that out first. Were they saved? Were they not saved? We do that all the time, right? We want to figure out the silly little things instead of focusing on, no, what is Paul saying here? That wasn't the debate. What Paul was trying to accomplish here was, listen, <laughs> let's say they were Christians. Let's say, yeah, they had believed in Jesus. Well, then he's saying, well, well, man, you're missing out on a really good part of this thing. You want the Holy Spirit too. You need to be empowered with the Spirit as well. And maybe they weren't. Maybe they were just ones who firmly believed a Messiah is coming. He's coming. Well, then even better. Paul's like, hey, haven't you heard? Whatever the case may be, the end result is what he was getting after. And it's the same thing for us here today. I cannot assume for a second that everybody sitting here today, based off of simple math, has truly arrived at that place where they've taken belief in God, belief in a Messiah, but translated that to personal salvation. And then along with that, to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
And yes, there are people, I believe, today who are saved, but they're missing out on the powering of the Spirit. They're missing out on a whole other chunk of what God has for us to equip and empower the believers in their daily life. There's somebody, a well-known pastor, he's a cessationist. And what that means is, I believe that the Holy Spirit is still active, but in terms of the gifts of the Spirit, the empowering, it's not there today. And every time he goes to a Calvary Chapel service, as a part of the worship, he comes out and he's like, whoa, that was fantastic. Loved that worship. And we're like, hey, buddy, Holy Spirit, you're missing out on a whole chunk of it here. But we don't need to go down this doctrinal theological track. You know, Paul goes on and he writes, we believe, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord. Seek to understand the will of the Lord. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We can go throughout various parts of the Word and we can see what it looks like. If you're sitting there today and saying, man, I don't know that I have that yet, and we'll go into this further next week, this will be part of our discussion time and prayer time on Wednesday night. But if you're sitting there wondering, you know, where am I at? Well, you should look to see, is there fruit in your life? And furthermore, are these things evident? What this outlines for us is four things. Speech, singing, giving thanks always, and submitting to one another. What does that mean? Well, first of all, is your speech such that it's filled with the Spirit? Do you talk the same way here that you talk at work and you talk at home? in your conversation, in your relationships with one another, that what's coming out of your mouth, is it edifying? Is it such that it's pleasing to the Lord, encouraging to the other person? Singing. Some of you don't like to sing. I wish you would begin to like to sing. Doesn't mean you have to have a good voice. Doesn't mean you need to be up here. We understand gifting too. But are you, and listen, and it's not just about the worship service here. Truly, I mean, think about it when you're getting ready in the morning when you're in the bathroom, when you're in the closet, when you're in the car, wherever you are, are you singing? Is there at times just a song that wells up from within you, from within your heart, that gives evidence to the fact that I love the Lord and I'm filled with His Spirit and no matter what's going on today, I'm singing praises to Him. That should happen. If you're not at a place where you're singing, I want for you to get there. Where you're singing praises to the Lord. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks when? Sometimes. Always. Always. Giving thanks always. So yes, when you have to go out there and and deal with that thing that just you've been just agonizing over, you can still give thanks. You can still give thanks. Finally, submitting to one another. And that's that accountability piece. Are we willing to submit to one another? Are we willing to hold one another accountable, to be accountable to one another, to be vulnerable with one another? This is the challenge. I could go on further. We'll go to there next week. 1 Corinthians 12 starts to then talk about, we have giftings. The Lord is gifting you. You are filled with the Spirit. You're being used by the Spirit, but are you using it in such a way where it's to the common good and benefit for the church as a whole? 
And so we'll continue this. It's going to continue to move on, right? These same things are going to be coming up next week as we dig deeper into what it truly means to be the church. But the only way we're ever going to be a part of that is by a, is through a willingness to say, Lord, I will do what your word says to do. I will we'll love one another. We'll encourage one another. We'll lift one another up. We will put your word first. And through that, we will allow it to change our hearts and minds to where we can be a family, to where we can be real together, to let all the garbage come out and to then be that family that's on mission. It's on mission to say, and we're going to multiply. We're going to take the healing that I've experienced in my own life. I'm going to work that through the power of the Spirit in someone else. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our song here this morning. That is our prayer. That is our praise. May we all here today just delight in who you are and allow the knowledge of you, Lord, and what we have through your word to transform our hearts and our minds, that we would be a body of believers here today that are willing to, to surrender, that are willing to be open and transparent, that can love one another in such a way that we can begin to truly break down walls, to be real with one another, to to speak truth into one another's lives, to love, to bear with. And may that then flow into our mission, Lord, to go and to share what we have in Jesus Christ with the rest of our community, Lord, multiplying in the name of Jesus. Father, bless each of these here today as they follow after you, Lord. Bless them and keep them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.